It's February and time for a marketing evolution. It's time to disrupt your thinking, monetize your efforts, expand your reach, and increase your profits. And that's just what the Winter Conference is set to do, and it's just around the corner. So as we begin February's VOE, here's the opening question. Have you registered for NSA's Winter Conference, February 15th through the 17th? If not, stop what you're doing and register now. Listen, you won't want to miss it. Just like you won't want to miss this month's guest on VOE. So here we go. Someone came up to me the other day and asked me if I've heard about this guy, Lou Heckler. What do you know about him? Can he help me with my keynote? <laughs> it was all I could do to help keep from laughing, which would have been rude, but to ask if Lou Heckler can help craft a keynote is like asking if rain clouds can produce rain. Lou is the man, and I'm honored to feature Lou in this upcoming segment of VOE because he is a voice of experience. This is Chuck Gallagher with VOE, and I can't, I really cannot believe that I'm sitting here interviewing Lou Heckler. And I remember, Lou, when I was a bit younger, living in the western part of North Carolina, <laughs> watching WBTV, yes, and you were on TV, and I was like, enthralled by the TV personalities yeah. from Channel 3, a CBS radio station. Yeah, yeah. And now I'm talking to you and interviewing you. That's that's a strange turn of events for You're me. revealing both of our ages. Well, <laughs> I am a bit, but that's okay. I think everyone in NSA knows that if someone says, you know, I really need to tighten up my speech, I need to add humor to it, I need to do something that is really going to take it to the next level, you are the guy to talk to. That's very nice, Chuck. Thank you. Well, it's true. So help me understand, how did you get to that place where you are the man? Yeah, that's, I, you know, it, it, it accidentally, in a way, I mean, like a lot of careers, you know, you think it'll go like this, but it, instead it goes like this. Right. I've always been a student of performance. I always was fascinated growing up watching early television, watching live shows, watching how people beckoned you almost up onto the stage with them or into the television with them. I had the great fortune, as you mentioned, of working in television for many years, and I was around tremendous performers, people who could do anything, be any character, be straight, be, be silly, be whatever they wanted to be. And I just got to be a real student of how people perform and what makes, what moves us. So when I came into NSA, Almost from the beginning, several people would come up to me and they'd see me do maybe a workshop or a breakout session, and they'd say, could you help me with this? And I'd say, yeah, sure, okay. Well, one day, Scott Friedman, who was uh, one of our uh, past presidents at NSA and a longtime friend, he called me up and he said, do you ever do formal coaching sessions? And I said, no. He said, w would you like to? And I said, you mean with you? He said, yes. I said, yeah, sure, okay. He said, what would you charge? I said, how much do you have? <laughs> I, I had no idea how to set it up. But he came, and we really clicked together. And I discovered something. This will sound like uh, false humility, but it's not. I discovered something I didn't understand, and that was I could help other people with their material as well as working on my own material. That, sure. 
I could see certain things they could do in stagecraft, in vocal, uh, changing the way they spoke vocally, just all kinds of things that I had learned because I had been able to sit at the foot of so many other great performers. Now, in addition to that, we, my wife and I sometimes joke about this. We always say our drug of choice is Broadway shows. Okay. So over sure. the years, we have been to more than a hundred Broadway shows, and I just it it so fascinates me because not only because of the level of performance, but because of the consistency of performance. Because if you're in a good show, you're on eight times a week. Right. You're on six nights, you're on two matinees. Absolutely. And and if Chuck Gallagher's sitting in the audience, for him it's opening night. So right. you have to perform at that level, whether it's your opening night or whether it's the 137th time you've done it. I can remember bloopers from the Carol Burnett show yeah, sure. and see things that sure. were there. And it, it was funny. Yeah. It was just funny. And people could have fun. Dick Van Dyke and some of these guys, yeah. you know, uh, Tim Conway. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What have you in tears? Yes. And, and yet today, some of those things you probably you couldn't probably say. probably wouldn't put on the air. No. Right. right. So how do you help coach people through that minefield? Yeah, it is a minefield. And, and I, think, I think we can overreact to it, first of all. Okay. And, and sort of water down our humor. I go back to an interview I saw one time with uh, Whoopi Goldberg on Inside the Actors Studio on the Bravo cable channel. Sure. And she said, I think the best humor is simply that in which we see ourselves. So what I try to help people find is the humor just in everyday life, in this mass of ego and contradictions and fears and joys and all that stuff that we all have. Because I think when you're up on the stage, there's, there's a a piece of all of us watching. We want to feel like on this day, on this subject, for this occasion, you're an expert. You know a little more than I do. But I also kind of want to feel like maybe you could live next door to me, that, that you're a, just a real guy or gal. And so we look for everyday types of things that are funny about how kids say things, how we all, are, as I said, are a bundle of contradictions. So it's not, I'm not looking for like a comedian is really looking for a bam, a punchline, a laugh line. Sure. I'm just looking for something where people are smiling, kind of going, yeah, that's me. Yep, I do that too. Mm-hmm. I'm goofy like that as well. And so my coaching of humor is more in the realm of helping people see the humanity that we all have and how silly we all are without realizing it. So when a person comes to you and says, um, Lou, I've got a, a, a keynote on X topic, whatever that topic may be, yeah. are, there, are there specific things that you are always looking for in a keynote that those who are listening or maybe watching on, on, on our YouTube channel, are there specific things that people really need to know and hone in on? I think so. I think every great speech is not only on a topic, it's on stress management, it's on leadership, it's on um, uh, safety or whatever it might be, but it also has a very specific and very consistent theme okay. that carries us through. So one of the first things we work on is, on this topic, what is your theme? In other words, what's your specific approach that will make me want to listen to you? Or if you're a meeting professional, what's a specific approach you have that will want to make a meeting professional hire you to speak at this particular organization? I really think over all my years in speaking, I've come to the conclusion that I don't get hired for my topic, I get hired for my theme. My, 
my unique approach, maybe not unique is maybe not the right word, but my different approach that I can support with my examples, with my life experiences, and so on. So we start with that. And then the hardest part, I think, in helping people, because mostly I'm helping people with their keynotes, is most of us who get into the speaking business, we start out doing training, we start out doing workshops, and that kind of thing. And we gather information, we gather information, we gather information, we know a whole bunch of stuff about a whole bunch of things. And now I want to do a 45-minute keynote. And they're like, uh-oh, I know about seven hours worth of stuff. How do I put it into 45 minutes? Absolutely. So because I was trained initially as a journalist, and again, I didn't realize this when I started coaching, I had learned skills about my typical thing when I was in television as a young news reporter was you cover a three-and-a-half-hour county commission meeting, and, um, <laughs> and you come back into the studio and, and the news director says, okay, good, you have 43 seconds to tell the story. So I found that I had a skill of being able to boil down a lot of information to the essence of what it really was. One of the conversations we often have when people are coaching with me is they, they spin out all kinds of things that they have to say and that they want to say, and I find myself saying, you know, that's interesting. I think what this speech is really about is, and I say whatever I think that is, and they get this look on their face like, oh my gosh, yeah, that, oh, yeah, that is kind of what I want to say. I never, do, I never thought of that as being like my theme. So, you know, thank, thank goodness for the journalism school at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, that taught me how to boil things down to the essence. Okay, that's funny. I like the boiling down to the essence. And for those listening on VOE, that is a critical component. Mm. I also have to say, I moved to South Carolina and someone said to me one day, you know, Carolina's playing somebody. And I was like, no, they don't play them. No, 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 they're, they're, they're playing somebody. It's the other Carolina. No. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And, you know, they're talking about the University of South Carolina. Right. And I said, no, 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 there's only one Carolina and that's where the sky is Carolina blue and Michael Jordan played basketball. <laughs> Now I've just turned off all of my South Carolina That's friends it. and buddies, but you Click. know you understand. <laughs> I still got to go there. Um, Lou, if you were talking to a an emerging speaker or someone that's new in their career, mm -hmm. you came in fact to the Carolinas chap chapter and you did a marvelous job, and you also did some coaching sessions. And so, if you're taking someone like that and you're going to give them one or two pieces of advice, mm -hmm. what is it? Wow. Uh, the first thing is find a subject about which you really feel great passion. Something that you feel that has been essential in your life to your success, to your joy, to your well-being. And also that you can parse, that you can take down into the steps that sort of got you to where you feel that way. because. What we want from you, I think, when you're up in front of the room is, explain to me why I should believe this, how I can feel this, how I can get to the point where you are. When people are starting out in the business, I'll speak for myself. You say, well, I want to speak on this, I want to speak on this, I want to speak on this, I want to speak, I know about this, I know about this. But you really need to sort of specialize in something, not only that you believe in or you're experienced, but that you we'll talk about for a period of time. In other words, something that will have legs, as right. they say, right? Sure. So it's, it's, it's very important to choose an area that, that you feel passionate about. Now, here's the, here's the catch. You'll say, well, I really feel passionate about this subject, but oh my gosh, there must be 100 speakers, 500 speakers, 1,000 speakers out there that speak on this same thing. And the answer is, yeah. 
Sure. Right. Oh, absolutely. But, but what we want to do is come back behind your head, and look out this way, and say, how is it, how do you see this? What insight can you give me from your experience? And I think what they have to do then is go back and realize that when you get to that point where you're willing to stand up in front of a group and say things, you already have a great deal of information that maybe you haven't thought about. Sure. So you have to go back and say, well, what about, what did I learn growing up? What did I learn about where I grew up? Uh, what kind of schools I went to? Was I in the military? Did I play any athletics? Was I a dancer? I mean, what, what are the things that can be blended in? Because in every one of those, there's some kind of a lesson from which the rest of us can gain. Lou, with all of the vast experience you have, and again, people really understand the talent you bring to the table in helping synthesize a, a speech and a theme and make it very powerful. But with all of the years of experience you have, when you go back to the speaking days, I'm not talking necessarily about the TV days, but the speaking days, yeah. what would experienced Lou tell young Lou not to do? Not be cheap. Uh, not only cheap in what I was charging, but in cheap in how I approached it. I probably should have taken out a small business loan or something like that. Instead, I was typing up handouts on a $100 electric typewriter on the dining room table. The material I sent out on myself was very crude and basic and did not reflect any real professionalism. It's important at the beginning to create an image that will be a powerful image that will bring you the kind of income and the kind of impact that you want to have. I did it on a shoestring and I think I would have done it very differently. The second thing I would, have, I would suggest to old Lou Heckler is, pick, as Jane Atkinson, the wonderful coach up in Canada says, pick a lane. You know, figure out something that you really can do well and focus in on that. I should have listened to one of my speech professors in college who said, become an expert on one subject, no matter how narrow it is, become an expert on one subject and you will always have work. Lou, I appreciate it, and I want to thank you for the time that you spent on television uh, broadcasting all over Western North Carolina <laughs> and influencing people in ways that you will never know and probably won't remember, but you and Ty Boyd and a host of other people really set a wonderful example of what journalism is it was and what professionalism is. Yeah, it really was. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chuck. Lou, appreciate it. There are times when the stars align. As a member of NSA Carolinas, when asked if someone would volunteer to be a guinea pig for this feisty little lady doing her presentation, I immediately threw up my hand and went on stage, had a life-changing experience. Neen James, in just moments, helped me model a portion of my presentation that to this day, people take out their phones and take pictures of because they just get it. Neen is amazing, and I am happy to feature her here on February's VOE. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with Voices of Experience. My guest is Neen James, and I've got to start with my, this process by saying, Patrick Henry introduced us many Hi. years back. You were at the Carolinas chapter, and I, I'll never forget, I volunteered to oh be, you know, the guinea pig. 
And, and you were sitting there talking about this issue of modeling, not... Supermodel? Not supermodel, <laughs> no, but modeling content. Right. And girl, all I got to say is, you got talent. <laughs> That's so kind of you. Well, obviously, we all love Patrick Henry, and he is truly one of my favorite humans. I had the privilege of serving a couple of chapters in sharing what is contextual modeling, because I believe when you can visually represent your intellectual property, you stand out from everyone else, it increases your revenue, and yes, it does increase your fee, but it gives your audience a way to understand your messaging. Now, you know I'm obsessed with attention. I want the world to pay attention to each other, and as speakers to our message. Well, wait a minute, you're obsessed with attention. I am. Right. Absolutely. Did you drive one of your Ferraris here? Ha ha ha, that's very funny. I'm not commenting on that, no. <laughs> what, no, oh, come <laughs> on. I'm not putting uh, that no in. Comment. No, we're not putting that in. No. Oh. That is being edited. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just asking. No. Um, Sam suggested I ask you that question just so you Sam know. Sam Silverstein, I have a lot to say to that man. Um, <laughs> back to models, when you and I met, what I think is interesting for speakers is that models will capture your unique intelligence in a way that no one else can. So think about it, big consulting firms, when you hire a big consulting firm, what you're hiring them for is often that they need to unpack and explain the model to you that they have done through many organizations, right? Sure. Think about Stephen Covey. He had the model first things first. It's a quadrant model. Think about the food industry. They have the food pyramid. Whether you believe it or not is irrelevant. They have commercialized their intellectual property through a shape. Right. And so we as speakers have a responsibility, make it easy for our audiences to pay attention to our message. And I believe contextual models is a great way to get attention for the message we want to share with the world. You know, Neen, and this is not about me, it's about you and your skill. I have a contextual model mm -hmm. and I talk about need, opportunity and rationalization. Right. And when need gets overblown, it impacts that. Mm -hmm. And I understand the words and I understand how it works, but you put it into a form that visually makes sense. Right. And what I here's how I know this thing works, is when I'm showing that up on the screen and people take their phones out and they start taking yes. pictures of it, See, I love it that. is clear I love it. that it just connects. You know, Jay Bayer, one of my favorite speakers, a brilliant, brilliant speaker, phenomenal author as well, and he has many great books, Hug Your Haters, Talk Triggers, and he said in a session that I did uh, more recently, and I saw him just very in the session writing this model, it was beautiful, then he sent it to me on message, I was like, this is amazing. Two days later, he delivered that model, and he watched as his audience all of a sudden resonated even deeper. He's already a brilliant speaker. His message is already great. But what he did was elevate his message, and he used this contextual model so the audience understands it better. See, we stand in service of our audiences. Our job is for them to understand what we're trying to get them to do or think or feel, but wouldn't it be neat for the people in the audience who really resonate with visuals to give them an easy way to do it? That's what a contextual model will do. There's something about you that just really, it, it just clicks. It just makes sense. But as I recall, you had a, a, a bit of a process oh, yeah. that a person could go through to help 
I guess, peel back the onion to yeah. determine that. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Exactly. Chuck, anyone can create a contextual model, right? And so it just so happens my brain thinks in models. So as speakers start to tell me their stuff, you know, a speaker starts to like vomit all their content all over you. Um, <laughs> and that happens, right? It always happens. But I start to sort it. And there's a couple of steps to this. The first step is when you think of your intellectual property, what you truly want the world to know, what shape comes to mind? So the first thing is identify a shape, whether it's a square, a circle, or a triangle. That's step one. Everyone can do that. Now, certain topics lend themselves to certain shapes. For example, if you're talking about relational or people, and as you see me use my hands and we think about cuddles and hugs, that might be a circular model, right? So when it's relationships and people, that often lends itself to that. Often when ideas intersect, Venn diagrams come to mind. So that's a very natural way to think about circles. If you have a process or a procedure where you're trying to get people to a certain level, a triangle often makes sense. If you are comparing and contrasting ideas, often a framework of a quadrant model makes sense. That's a square. So when you think about number one, the first step is choose your shape, right? Okay. The second thing to really help an audience understand what you want to do is, I like models to be a little sexy. And I think that movement gives a model mojo. So for example, if you're creating a process model where you want your audience to get to this point, arrows indicate movement. So it trains the eye, we're gonna go from here to here to here, and this is what we're going to achieve, right? If you have a sales process, it could be that the sales process is circular and the arrows go this way. That might be something else that's important. So giving it movement is step two. Does that make sense? It does. Choose a shape. Choose a shape. Choose your movement. Give it movement. The third step is choose your words. So I love language, you know that about me. I'm obsessed with words, I love alliteration, probably to a fault. And what I wanna do is make the words big enough that they're contextually big enough that all your tactics and strategies can fit into them. If you're creating a process, instead of five words, is there one word? And so if you're creating a triangle model, you might identify each of the steps, which is one of the things we did with your model, was remember we got it down to one word, right. which makes it so elegant. And so if you think about making your words more elegant, uh, one of my favorite speakers is Mark Sanborn. One of the things I love about him is his eloquence. He has this elegance about his presence, but his words, his language is always beautiful. And so I think about words in like a language palette. So think about an artist. An artist uh, has 27 versions of the color red. They have a color palette. As speakers, we have a language palette. We have a way to say things that we want to make it easy for our audience. You can have a formal palette or a casual palette, right? So I can say, really, I just want to kind of create some shapes so that people get what I'm saying. That's a casual palette. Or I may say, let's create a contextual model to demonstrate and commercialize your IP. That's a formal way of saying the same thing. Does that make some sense to you? So as speakers, the third step is to choose the words for your model. If you can use alliteration, great. If you can use action-oriented words, great. But things that make it easy for the audience to go, huh, I could do that. But the fourth step is when you really think about this, so you've chosen your shape, you've chosen the movement, you've chosen the words, then I want you to think about at the highest level, is there a way that you can look at all the influences of this, that you can articulate it in a way that will resonate across messaging, right? So you choose your shape, you choose your movement, you choose your words, and then you choose what are the influences and the impact of that particular model. And that's when I design models, that's all the stuff that's going through my head. So let's take the fourth part. Mm -hmm. part. I'll just spit it out in a minute. You think I should be a speaker. 
let's take the fourth part, the influences. Go deeper with that. How, you know, because people that are listening to this, they can they can identify in their heads a shape. Mm -hmm. uh, they can see just by your language creating arrows that creates movement. Yep. They can understand the difference between formal and informal wording. Yes. But the influencing side, if someone's listening, take me there so I get that. Sure. So think about one of the models that I have is a folding time model. And folding time is basically a Venn diagram. But what I've done is I have start to name the intersections of a Venn diagram. So if you think of circles intersecting, often in school we were just taught that little middle intersection that was the most important point. Remember that? Right, absolutely. And everything points to the center. Right. But what if you elevated that and you started to name the intersections between all of the circles? Okay. And you started to look at, well, what's influencing that? Right? Okay. So in my folding time model, that's one of the things that I do. If I look at my attention pays model for my latest body of work, that is all, it's also circular, surprise, because of the ideas are very circular. It's about personally, professionally, and globally, how do we pay attention in the world, what do we pay attention to, and who do we pay attention to. So what you can think about as far as influences are things like environmental influences, expectations, emotions, uh, the energy you bring, right? Obviously, I like alliteration. So they're just things that are bigger than your actual message. When I talk about attention, it's not just about getting attention, it's about giving attention, right? Because when you pay attention, attention pays. But what I have to explain to my clients is, it's not just personally who you're paying attention to, or professionally what you're paying attention to, it's globally, how do you pay attention in the world? That's an influencer. Do you see that? I do. Yeah, so it's going to be bigger than your message. I mean, thank you so much. I have to say, when you came in for the interview here for VOE, you were working on a contextual model with a client, <laughs> and I saw her just enter the room so you can continue the contextual model and finish that up. And I know the people listening are going to be like, okay, great. She lives and breathes what she talks. I do. Thank you for what you're doing this year. Thank you for being the chair. This is one of the most important things we offer as speakers, so I appreciate your service in VOE. Thanks for letting me be part of it. Thank you so much, Anine. I my, appreciate it. My pleasure. Yep. On a scale from 1 to 10, how fantastic is your marketing and thought leadership content? In this next magnetic marketing segment, word of mouth, and content marketing expert, Spike Jones, shares how to create better content. Spike is the Senior Vice President of Strategy at Spreadfast, a social media software company that helps companies connect with their fans on social media. Live from the High Five Conference, here's Spike Jones. Hi, Meredith Oliver here with another episode of Magnetic Marketing for NSA's Voices of Experience, and I'm here with the man, the myth, the well-suited, <laughs> Spike Jones. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. Appreciate it. Glad that you're here. So NSA Nation, you may or may not be familiar with Spike Jones, but if you're in the marketing speaking circuit, like I am, then you know Spike Jones. I've been in many of his keynote sessions, always enjoyed them has a history of teaching others about word of mouth marketing, but these days is really, as VP of Spreadfast, right? Really into social content and listening and signals for some pretty big brands. Absolutely. 
So, in, as we know, there's a lot of content out there on social. A lot of it's really yeah. bad content. Right. Um, but we, you know, it's our job to teach our customers and you know everything from big national retail brands to automotive makers uh, what good content is and how people are going to respond to it. Because actually, yeah. at the end of the day, we want people to share. Right. 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 And respond and interact and not let it just be this thing that goes through their feed and they pay no attention. And to it you. falls flat. Absolutely. Yeah. So, in working with your clients. How do you teach them what is good content and how can a speaker use that to think about their content marketing? Absolutely. So as brands and if you're a, brand, a person who's a brand or yes. if you're a company who's a brand, you have this spotlight. Yes. And most of the time we like, love to shine that spotlight on ourselves and go, look at me, look at me, I'm look awesome. I'm so <laughs> awesome because everyone's fighting for attention. Yeah. But we forget sometimes, especially if we have a bigger platform, we can shine that spotlight on the people that love us. Yes. So it's almost we love them for loving us and it's a circle of love, not to get too mushy with it. Right. Um, but you know, that's the biggest thing. So we when we started thinking about content strategies for our customers, we divide them into three buckets. Ah, okay. First bucket we call ego. Ah. I don't mean ego in a bad way. No. I mean ego in people love to post on social to talk about themselves. Yes. They love content that highlights the things that they love, the things they like to do, the people around them, their cities, their food. I mean, think about it. I mean, your, right. your Instagram feed is here's what I'm wearing, here's what I'm eating, here's where I'm staying. Right. All that good stuff. So why not give them content that highlights that and go, yes, you are an awesome person. Yes. And I'm going to create a piece of content for you mm -hmm. that's going to make you look awesome. Ah, so I it love is not that. that selfie that you have. It is that selfie with those four other people or a story that you're going to tell about them, which is great. Yeah. The second one is information. Okay. People love to share information, especially mm -hmm. new information and complicated information. So that's a yes. pretty easy one. If you've got a new book coming out and you give them a sneak peek, that's right. they're going to be very shareable. Um, and complicated information, which is a whole another category. And then third is emotion. Ah, uh, yes. And the emotion that travels the quickest on the internet that you probably know is rage, which we don't like that. No, uh, not at not all. Not for a brand. But no. Surprise and delight is the other one because people love to be surprised. Surprise and delight. and delight. And again, it is shining that spotlight on them and going, "You're so awesome. Here's something I'm going to do for you that you didn't even ask." Yeah. Yes. So is surprise and delight why cat videos do so well on the internet? <laughs> right. That's, that you got to you got to put the cat category all by itself. Oh, that's, that's just a total phenomenon. Category. Yes. Okay. That's just a happiness factor. <laughs> right. For sure. Yeah. 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 Is there a place in our content marketing for the funny, off the wall, once in a while cat video to Absolutely. keep our audiences, what, entertained or delight? I don't know. Absolutely. But I think we're so serious. We take all ourselves so seriously all the time, right? And I think people want to see the human side of you. Yeah. Sometimes things that you might think mundane are mundane in your life and not that funny could be hilarious because yeah. it's, it's a touch point. It goes, oh my gosh, I've been through that same thing. Yeah. I've, you know, I've been driving to school with my, when my kid threw up in the back seat and the dog's barking and I'm, you know, my I'm hair, I'm it. having a bad hair day and <laughs> yeah. it's relatable. So people love to see that. So yes, I think the pieces of funny content are great. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think people try too hard to be funny. Yes. And then it falls flat. Yeah. So I, but I think it's capturing those everyday moments. If you, just a really simple level you know you've got a speaker out there they're a person of marketer of one mm -hmm. speaker of one their whole business you know they're doing it themselves they're getting ready to go give a presentation somewhere be at a conference what's some interesting possible content they could put out there at the conference that wouldn't be so look at me but it would still be effective for them absolutely thoughts on that well yeah I think some of it's behind the scenes 
Ah, right? So right? there's a lot of images of people on stage, which is fantastic. But whenever you're on stage, people are going to take pictures of you and tag you anyway. Anyway. So what is behind the scene? What is your preparation? People are interested. Like other speakers are interested. Like, yes. what's your prep? How do you put it? How do you put a talk together? What kind of research do you do? Yes. I think that could be really interesting. And then even, you know, what is the day to day like? Mm-hmm. Again, we are looking for relatable touch points where I go, oh, that person is like me. I can relate to them. And therefore, yes. I want to know more about that. So I think. You know, again, to you and me, that might seem mundane and it might seem boring, but right. to the other people out there that would like to do what we do, that's something that they aspire to do. So they want to know, they want to get all those pieces of information that they can. They do. And NSA Nation, please, when you are checking into the Four Seasons or the Ritz for your big keynote, <laughs> I know you're excited, but think about, does that really, does your audience really relate to that? Right. Oh, I'm just rolling into the Ritz again. like. Think about it, it's right? One, it's one of the things that social media is like, we put together these magical lives that don't, yes. don't really exist. Oh my god! Even if you're staying at the Motel 8, you when you're driving by the Ritz, you check in. Right? <laughs> oh, I've never done that. Yes, nobody's right? ever done that. Oh. One of my favorite pieces of marketing is a Chevy Malibu campaign mm -hmm. from several years ago. They did hashtag truly rich. Mm -hmm. And they did a series of commercials and they were aimed towards men who would be in the demographic of buying a Chevy Malibu, which is a family guy, right? right? And they showed this series of pictures of what real life is versus what gets tagged and posted. That's great. And at the very end, the announcer says in the deep announcer voice, and now these are the guys who are hashtag truly rich. That's awesome. And it was like, oh, goosebumps. Because it was, it, it's just, that's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was real and it was for them. So it was really cool. Tell everybody how to, you know, learn more about your company and what you do and everything, where they can find you on social, etc. Absolutely. So Spreadfast is a social media enterprise platform, S-P-R-E-D-F-A-S-T, weird internet spelling name. Um, <laughs> check us out if you're interested um, in learning more about that. For me, uh, askspike.com is where I reside and all my information and blogs. Some people still blog. Right. Oh, hello. Not. Several believe times a week. <laughs> um, and then Twitter is Spike Jones and Instagram is Spike. Very cool. People try to take that from me all the time. Oh, I bet. That's a good one you got there. Thank you. Right? Well, way back in the early days. Right? But thanks for having me so it's much. It's good to be an early adopter. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, uh, NSAers. I hope you've enjoyed this. You've been literally listening to the king of word of mouth and social content creation. Awesome guy in the marketing industry. Uh, very approachable. Very nice on-off platform. Thank very you. cool. So thank you, guys. And we'll talk to you soon. I have a philosophy. There are no accidents. We meet people for a reason. Sometimes we're aware and, well, sometimes we miss it. My next guest takes that to a whole nother level. First time at NSA at Influence 2018, this best-selling author from China, like sales of 60,000 books this past year, said hi by chance and we struck up a conversation. Jinhua, otherwise known as Daniel, has an amazing story. Ever think, I can't do that? Daniel will shatter those beliefs. So enjoy this unusual story of courage, determination, and success. Uh, this is Chuck Gallagher with Voices of Experience, and this interview I am jazzed by. Jen Hua, is that close? Yeah, man, you did a good job. Okay. Oh, you did a good job. 
Yeah, so let, let me say this, Jianhua, uh, mm -hmm. or you go by Daniel. Yeah. Um, but the interesting thing about that is, as I say, I'm bilingual, I speak English in fractured Southern. So mm -hmm. to say Jianhua, mm -hmm. and to remotely get it close, means there is a chance for this old guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really appreciate the fact that I have the chance to talk with you because in Voices of Experience, we encounter all kinds of people that have yeah. all kinds of experience. And so when you and I got a chance to talk, you have written a book. The title of the book in English is Don't Be Shy, Just Say Hi. Mm -hmm. And that book has sold over 60,000 copies. Yeah, last year. Last year. Number one in its category. Yeah. And published by the major, the, the 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 largest publishing house in China. Yeah, tell us your story. Oh uh, wow, I was so lucky. You know, number one, I met you yesterday. I just say hi. You know, I say hi. And then, uh, when I was a college student, my English was terrible. But I always want to be a speaker. I feel like I was born on the stage. But at that, that time, so I I kind of looking, searching for like a speaking association. I found NSA. So I put on my list, I say one day, I will come to NSA, NSA for the conference and meet these amazing speakers. By that time away, my English was terrible. When I read an article more than 100 words, my English teacher couldn't understand the first few words. Um, and also I came from a very poor family, so I could not afford to come here. But the, the interesting thing is, because so long, like 60 years ago, so I kind of forgot but this year, I, was, I bought a ticket to pay a visit to several friends in America, one in Las Vegas, another in Tampa. But I already bought my return ticket. Right. And all of a sudden, NSA popped in my head. I said, wow, I haven't checked MSA for a long time. So I checked the website. I found Influence 2018. It was 14th to 17th. So I bought the ticket, got back to China on 12th. Like three days ago, so I canceled the ticket. I called the agent. She said it's like unrefundable, so I could not get any zero money back. So anyway, I feel well. This is my twelve, like sixteen years dream. So I go. I went with my heart. So I bought the ticket. I canceled the ticket. I bought another uh, new ticket. I canceled the ticket. Yeah, I am. That is amazing. Okay, so first, you've got a bucket list, as yeah. we would call it, and yeah. that's on your bucket list 16 years ago. Yeah. Today, you're making the dream alive. I am. But now, easier for me to say this, in a sense, because I can toot your horn, but uh, your English might have been bad, but now you have become the translator for John mm. Gray, Men yeah. Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Yeah. You've worked with Tom Hopkins for a number of years. Mm -hmm. So it's not, let's put it this way, your English is not bad now, and you've certainly made some connections that a lot of us would love to make. I was so humble. I think it's, um, lots of my students say, wow, teacher, how could you do that? Because like, when I was uh, like senior high school, on a senior high in the college, um, one of my Canadian friends gave me a book, um, Cody Man from Mars with Venus, and yes. I read the book. The reason I love the book is not because of the content, because he wrote in a simple English, so I could understand. So I read the book again, 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 again. Wow, it's such an amazing like, message, and it helped my marriage. So I still remember like, um, another story. Like, um, like four years later, uh, on my way to another city in China, I was I'm away for another conference, a learning seminar. 
But at night, like in China, if you took the like sleeping bag train, they often turn off the light at 10.30. So 10.30 to turn off the light, I couldn't fall asleep. So I got up and I took his book, Man for Most Beautiful Venus. I was reading the, his book. And guy approached me and said, well, are you a student? I said, no, I already graduated from college for like four years. Said, Why are you still reading English book? I said, I don't know, I just love it. So he took a photo and he sent it to me. And then like four years later, my first time walk with Dr. John Gray and I show him the photo. Oh he my said, goodness. Wow, you gotta show the photo to my wife. <laughs> and like half a year later, and I had a chance to pay him a visit in San Francisco and show him and his wife the photo. They said, oh my God. Anyway, well, when I was a college student, that, they're like Tom Hopkins, uh, Dr. John Gray, they're my idols. We heard a lot about them. So I was a look up to them. And then a couple of years later, and I had the chance, have the privilege to work with them. So, you know, there's a couple of things that you've said, Daniel, that really strike me as interesting. Number one, you were reading the book, not because of the content, yeah. but because of the style in which it was written, yeah. which therefore made it more accessible Absolutely. to you in China. And if you're wanting to truly learn English, then you don't need something that's complicated. Yeah. The other thing that strikes me as kind of funny is you were attracted to the style and because you wanted to learn English, but it helped you in your marriage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it helps a lot. Because first, I think, let me give me a funny story. You know, um, I, I think the kind of guy, like what a Dr. John Gray said from the Mars, whenever we have argued with a fight with a wife, I always want to go to my cave. He go to cave. Right. In a man's time, yeah, where I can chill out. And my wife always said, no, 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 you can't go that. You can't do that. You know, you abandon me. Uh huh. And I told her, you know, that's a man's cave time. So we're learning and we started the book and it's helped us a lot. That's awesome. Yeah. So how did you connect with uh, the concept of translating the book for Dr. Gray? That's a very good question. I, I think that my first time, I was, um, to be honest, I never ever thought about I could be his chancellor his interpreter. You know, when I read his book, I said, oh, such a great book, such a great, have tons of like um, great messages. Um, the thing is, it's one day I got a call from my friend. He couldn't um, fear his job as a translator. He asked me, is it possible you can help me out? And it wasn't John Gray. It was another motivation speaker from Australia. And I said, I'm sorry, I couldn't do that. Even though my English is good enough, number one, my major was horticulture. It has nothing to do with English nor translation. But what he said is, Daniel, he said, one thing you should keep in mind, when I was your age, you know, I thought I wasn't ready. My major, he didn't go to college. Right. He didn't go to high school. I said, you graduated from college. Your English is way better than me. So I can help you. So my friend, he, he did help me. So I took the job for like very quick translation, only like two hours. And then like a half a year later, he said, I got another gig for you. It's a four, four days translation by Dr. John Gray. Are you ready for the, for the job? Because I think I, I did the first gig. I thought, yeah, sure. Right. But later I found out, wow, it's way beyond my capability. Because the first one, the speaker is, everything is from the script. It's 95%, he follows script. 
Right. But for Dr. John Gray, for like four days and nothing to do with the script. Right. He is have more like, you know, come out of his mouth and come with his mind. You have no idea what he's going to talk about. Right. So I asked his agent, he said, you got to prepare. You got to read his book and you watch all the videos and, you know, audio stuff. And I did prepare for 21 full days. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then after that, um, I, I did the translation. And Dr. John Gray said, wow, you did an amazing job. And then I did something I wrote in the book. I always ask people, you know, I always, you know, prepare, do my, um, do my homework. As a Dr. John Gray, I find out um, some stuff from your website, and you have a four-day seminar at your private ranch. I'm curious how much I've let, uh, I should pay if I want to join your seminar. I said, wow, you don't need to do that. If you want to come, join us. I will sign you up for free. I said, wow. You know, I always, um, that's why I have tons of international friends. I always take initiative. Not like the most Chinese, like my students, they want to make friends with the international guests, you know, make friends with foreigners, but they are hesitant. Right. They are afraid people say no. I'm not the kind of guy. I always say, don't be shy. Just say hi. You'll never know. (laughs) I like that. What advice would you give folks in the United States who might say, I would love to do business in China, mm-hmm. but I don't know what, I don't know how or what that process would be? That's a very good question. Because um, I think actually this year, I'm going to bring to a lot of like um, speakers um, from United States to China. Actually, um, me and my business partner, because now I'm upgrading my Mean from a translator to an agent okay. in China. So I'm gonna bring um, another two uh, like amazing speaker from America to China. Um, my personal suggestion is, is always find a reliable business partner or like speaking platform. The thing that I think is is, is fascinating is you, you write a book that meets uh, a, a, a niche, uh, so to speak. It's a bestseller in China. 60,000 copies is amazing, but you also will take the initiative to do the things that will move you toward the dream that you have. And I think that's awesome. Thank you. So I'm sure that from, from this, probably people will be wanting to reach out to you and connect and understand how can I get my book translated? Uh, what's the possibility of being able to do business in China? So I'm sure you'll be getting lots of calls from this interview, and I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Daniel, thank you so much. Thank you. The strength of NSA is made up in its chapters, and this month, Lisa Ryan joins me as our guest Featuring NSA's Chapter of the Month, NSA Ohio. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with Voices of Experience, and my guest is NSA Ohio's Lisa Ryan, soon to be CSP. Now, congratulations in advance for Influence 2019. I look forward to seeing you cross that stage. Thank but you. Voices of Experience, one of the things that we want to do is we want to feature our incredible chapters. And NSA Ohio has uh, done something that I think a lot of chapters certainly would be interested in, 
And so Lisa, tell us a little bit about the idea and how that worked. Well, what we did is we put together a speaker showcase. Uh, the last one we did was in 2011. And although that one was great, we had a great venue and speakers and we tried to market it to meeting planners. This one we decided was going to be just for us. It was a speaker showcase designed to give us good video on a great stage. Excellent. So some of the things that I guess chapters might want to know are some of the details. So give us an idea of some of the things that you all had to consider and how you navigated that. Sure. The number one thing was uh, stay in touch with your NSA buddies because in one of my conversations with the fabulous Mimi Brown, she was talking about how the Michigan chapter did a speaker showcase using Chris West. And so I reached out to Chris and his office and got the details, started the conversation from there. Once we decided that it was a, a good fit, then the, the next thing was to find the venue. And I will tell you, when you are putting together a speaker showcase, that is the number one thing before anything else you do is to find that venue. Because a lot of times if you're looking for a cool venue, like in Cleveland, we have lots of really great theaters. Unfortunately, they also host events at those theaters. So if you have your heart set on a particular venue, you may have to be flexible with the date. If you have the date in mind, then you may have to be flexible with the theater or the venue. So that is the number one thing that you must do. And remember, it's, it's all about the video. So finding that venue with a really cool stage, that was what we were looking for. Okay, so Lisa, you find the venue, you find the date. Um, how did the speakers get chosen? Who was, two questions really, number one, who got to participate and how long were their segments? Sure. It was a, we wanted this to be a member benefit. So the very first people that this was marketed to was the professional members of our chapter. After that, we opened it up to other ch nearby chapters. So Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, we offered it up. We just put it out there for other chapter members. Actually, and we ended up having Florida in the house. Who would have thought? From there, we, the next step was to offer it to our ProTrack uh, participants so that we could also include our emerging speakers. And we had a few of those people. Uh, part, uh, participate as well. Now, how long, how long were the segments that were shot on this video? We had 10 minutes. And the nice thing what Chris West did, and again, I would recommend, is to do se shorter segments. So instead of having one um, full 10-minute segment, what most of us did is we had two or three smaller segments because then put together in a video, it could look like a, a, a two segments of a longer program. So for example, I did three three-minute segments of my program. So then tied together, it could look, I could use them individually or I could use them tied together so it looked like that was a one-hour keynote or workshop. Sure. Now, um if you don't mind sharing, because you know, I, I'm sure that uh, NSA members who are, are active in the chapters would love to take that idea back to the chapter because it makes so much sense. We're always clamoring for video. Uh, what was the cost? 
for the cost, and I know I, I don't know what uh, Chris does now with the videos, but what we did is we charged our members four hundred and ninety-seven dollars. The original cost was three fifty, but because the venue that we chose was more expensive, we ended up needing to pay Chris four hundred dollars a person, and we wanted to we wanted to include lunch, so that was an ad ad additional cost along with parking. So it was a very small fundraiser as well for the chapter. We ended up raising about $2,000 nice. by the time everything was said and done. It was 21 speakers, 10 minutes each. Wow, that's amazing. That's <laughs> amazing. Okay, so for those uh, who are listening here on VOE, uh, NSA's chapter of the month, NSA Ohio, because of the great idea of really capturing video and, and getting it professionally done so that people, as, now at least as I understand, they walked away or were able to walk away with raw footage, or they could, of course, talk with Chris if they want some edit work done. Is that correct? Correct. Okay, perfect. Listen, thank you so much for taking the time to be on VOE and to share the idea of the month from NSA Ohio. And I think, Lisa, that if other chapters would be interested in that, obviously they can reach out to you. Uh, what's your website? My website is lisaryanspeaks.com. Okay, great. So if you have a question, reach out to Lisa. She can give you the details. And it's a pleasure having you on VOE, and thanks for representing NSA Ohio so well. You are very welcome. The most comments I've ever received on a VOE interview was with Russ Riddle and his legal copyright trademark discussion in January. But we just touched the surface. Part two with Russ talks about licensing use of material. And folks, you don't want to miss this VOE segment if you want to stay out of legal trouble. And now, here's Russ. In the world of speaking, mm -hmm. from the mm -hmm. platform, it is um, not uncommon to want to involve the use of music, to want to involve the use of uh, video. Um, and, and, and I've seen it cringe at times because of you know, ethics presentations. Okay, well, we've got music, we've got video, we've got images. Mm -hmm. and, and I'll see people some, from time to time say, okay, and let me show you this YouTube video. And, and they you know, go out of their PowerPoint hypothetically and, and click on the YouTube video and then they show this video. What does the speaker need to know about licensing rights for images, video, and audio so they don't walk into an event and find out they just got busted because they were ignorant? Well, you know, people make the mistake of thinking if it's on the internet, it's free game. Well, that, most of what's on the internet is not free game. Just, just because it's out there for public consumption does not make it public domain for you can freely use it in your commercial endeavors. And so people do make a, that assumption incorrectly and they'll, they'll just put things in. You know, first of all, when I see a presentation, I get, if I don't know them, I give them the benefit of the doubt unless asked that they went through all the steps. Okay. I know some of them probably didn't but I don't know that. Okay. Uh, let's take music. Okay. All right. If you're going, there, there are different types of licenses. There's, there's 
a proper way to go about it. If you want to get up there with your own guitar and perform a famous song that's copyright protected, you need a performing rights license. The venue probably has one. That you know, BMI, ASCAP. You've probably seen the absolutely the stickers. Sure. They have blanket, but sometimes they may not. And sometimes, even though they've got one, they the event planner may insist that you have your own. If that's part of your speech, time and time again, do you have that licensed? So, if you're going to per perform a song, that's performing rights license. Okay. If you're going to have walk-on music that is the famous recording, you're going to need a master use license as well because, yeah, it's a public performance, but you're, you're using, if it's only in your walk-on and in, in not synced to anything, you might get away with just the performing rights license, but they start overlapping. See, if you've got it embedded in your presentation, you, you click on it and it shows a, a something image on the screen or something like that. You probably need a master use license if you're using the very recording. Uh, if, if you want to do something with the song that's not the recording, you want to do a cover of a song, you might need a mechanical license if you're putting out products with that on there. Like you're, you're, it's being put into DVD or CD or, you know, those are getting antiquated on us. But sure. <laughs> yeah, we you and I remember them. Yeah, we uh, MP3s, MP4s then you might need um, a mechanical license. You know, it's much like a record going out. Uh, you know, units that are being sold. Sure. And the owner of that music ought to be getting a statutory rate mechanical. Uh, so th there's a lot about that. Um, a couple of things to bear in mind when you're going about properly licensing music is there's typically, in recorded music, there's two copyrights, and they're typically owned by different people or different entities. The writers of a song or their publishing company usually owns the song, the music and lyrics, copyright in that. But the record company typically owned, this is going back to the days of, of LPs. Yeah. Oh, they're coming <laughs> they, back. They are coming you back. Know. All right. They might own the copyright and the sound recording, not the song, but that recording of the song. So okay. there's two different players you might be dealing with. Uh, if you need a mechanical license, how you can cut to the chase with that one is go to Harry Fox online. Harry Fox Agency uh, does that. They've got they're more or less a clearinghouse for mechanical licenses. Uh, you know, you might have to do some research, uh, but it gets it gets murky. Videos, uh, a movie clip, a TV clip. If you're going to, you know, it's one thing for it to be out there on YouTube, but if you're going to put it into your material, your products, and you're going to commercialize it for your business, that's a whole different matter. And you need a, if it's a, a clip of a video, you need a clip license. Well, Motion Picture Licensing Corporation.org, MPLC.org, you can go there. And uh, they have prearranged with the major movie studios and the major networks, not all of them, but a lot of them. And chances are what you want to use, they can help you with. Okay. And it, it, it ends up being a lot less expensive than you might think. Okay. Particularly if you don't go that route and get caught, it can get real expensive. Right. One quick more thing about you said images. This happens all the time. It, you just go cut and paste a, an image, not of a famous person, just of a stock image of something. Sure. And Getty comes knocking. 
Yes. You know, and you say, well, I didn't get that from Getty Images. Well, Getty Images owns iStock and a whole bunch of the other image houses. Right. And so you need to make sure that you've done the proper licensing on those images. I say take your own photographs. I mean, if it's a meeting scenario at a board table, once you just stage that and take your own photographs, you own the copyright in your own photographs. Right. You might need uh, releases from the folks in the photographs, but you know what I'm saying. But those photos are embedded, and I have represented NSA members that you know they didn't a didn't know that it was not properly licensed because their web designer told them everything was cleared. Right. And he or she might not be lying. He or she might think they properly cleared it. And, and so my clients will say, well, I didn't do that, the web designer. They don't care about the web designer. It's your website. You're making money from that. And you, you owe all these thousands of dollars from back when. And then it becomes, okay, let's try to mitigate that because you have been using an unlicensed image. So let's get the price down as a win in those situations. So watch out with your images and, and with well-meaning independent contractors who think they properly cleared it but didn't. Or right. maybe the image is used outside the terms and conditions of that license. You gotta read the small print. How can you use it? How can you not use it? Uh, and so you have to follow all that. But, the, but there's easy ways to go about all this. Just think ahead. Russ, <laughs> wow, valuable information. I mean, I think people are gonna listen to this uh, and they may hear several iterations of this because it's really, really important. And now it's time for Money Matters, here with Joel Block on Voices of Experience. How clear are you about what people really mean when they ask you a question? And here's what I mean by this. When you hear news on TV, when you hear information, when you get an answer from a client in a client meeting, are they really shooting straight or is there maybe something else going on? In my experience, there's always something else going on and we may not be privy to that information. So we have to always inquire, sometimes very directly, about the hidden agenda. There's always a hidden agenda. Sometimes there are hidden agendas between departments and companies that we're selling to. Sometimes the boss or the person that hires us might have a hidden agenda about what we want to accomplish or what that person wants us to put into the marketplace that's not being said to the rest of the audience. And then we could be surprised or have some other problem. It's very important when, whenever you work with a client, and even when you listen to the news, no matter what channel you listen to or whatever you're doing, always ask, what's the hidden agenda? Because if you don't understand the hidden agenda, you're absolutely missing some important information, and that important information is gonna cost you money. But understanding the hidden agenda is gonna make you extra. And it's gonna make you some good friends over the long term too. So that is how you draw a line to the money. It's said sometimes that bad things that happen in our lives put us directly on the path to the best things that will ever happen to us. My good friend Kevin McCarthy is living proof of that and the power of being transparent with your story and life experience. 
Oh, and Kevin also shares some of the mystery behind becoming a CSP. And now, here's my good friend, Kevin McCarthy. Hi, this is Chuck Gallagher with VOE, and my guest is Kevin McCarthy. Kevin, it's great to have you here. It is so exciting to be here, Chuck. I am just thrilled. Okay, so we're going to do two things today. Okay, we're going to do two things on VOE that I think really will be impactful for people that listen. One is we're going to talk a little bit about um, what really changed the momentum of your speaking career. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> for those people that are listening, Kevin and I are the dynamic duo of convicted felons in NSA. Now, I am not sure that uh, people listening would be like, what in the heck is he talking about? <laughs> but Kevin called me uh, a number of years ago, uh, 2009? Yep. Okay, 2009, and was talking with me about a series of past mistakes that earned you the same privilege as me. Mm -hmm. Little trip to Club Fed. Club Fed. Yes. And, and I have to say, when people say Club Fed, it, it, it is a club. That's those of us who will never lose the number. And it was fed. And anybody that thinks it was a cakewalk should try it sometime. They will find not exactly that idea. Yeah, I don't recommend that myself. No, not a good thing at all. <laughs> right. But the one thing, Kevin, that strikes me is in our conversations, you basically made a comment that when you... Um, chose to be open about your past, it changed the trajectory of your speaking career. Tell us about that. Yeah, you bet. So I, I spoke quite a bit in the 90s in the real estate community, and so then found myself in prison, as you mentioned. And, sure. Uh, and for my 33 months, my biggest dream and passion was figuring out why I was there, and, uh, and then realizing, okay, I've got to share this with the world. Uh, but when I got out, I started sharing it with the world, but I didn't tell them where I learned my lessons. Okay. So I just thought, well, yeah, I'm going to be a leadership motivational guy. I'm going to do leadership transformational training and, and so forth. And it was a struggle in getting the business off the ground. Uh, I took a job with the company, was doing training for them and speaking for them for you know, four or five years. Uh, and then parted ways with them in 2014, thought, okay, this is what I got to do for the rest of my life. This is my passion. I've got to make this work. So in 2014, I just took the plunge full-time. I was the breadwinner in the family and said, we're doing this. And, and it was a struggle because I didn't know how to position myself. I didn't have anything special because I wasn't telling anybody why I knew what I knew. And, uh, and then it, it was the first couple of years of a struggle. And then suddenly in 2016, I actually hired, hired a professional coach you know, within NSA that, that helped open my eyes. Sure. And, uh, and the, the key word was, you know, well, what did you learn in prison? I said, well, blind spots. We all have them. I had them, right? And he, of course, went, oh, I like that. And he said, you got to tell the world about the story behind it. And, and then I started talking to colleagues in NSA Oregon, and they're like, Kevin, you're burying the lead, man. You're burying the lead. It's like, okay, I guess I'll do it. And it was scary because I'm like, now I have to be transparent. I have to be vulnerable. I have to be on a stage and say, hey, I spent 33 months in a federal prison for a crime I didn't knowingly commit and know that there was going to be judgment. This is what I'm thinking anyway. And so it was scary, but I did it. And when I did it, the business in 2016 just flourished. I ended up booking 30 paid events that year, and it has been nothing less than that ever since. So functionally, like me, 
you learn something from your experience in your past, but you weren't sure because of the judgment that could come your way whether you should share that. Yeah, yeah, totally. And transparency has said, oh my gosh, if I've got a speaker that's vulnerable, I can trust that person more and they will listen. It's ironic, isn't it? It is ironic. I, I, yeah, I mean, and that's exactly the reception I get. It's, they want to hear the story. They're endeared to me for being vulnerable and transparent. I even had a client uh, use those terms. He said, Kevin, because of your vulnerability and transparency, you're connecting with the audience at much deeper levels. And so that stuck with me. And so my message now is just like, I'm an open book, you know, let's, let's talk. Uh, and, I, and I would encourage anybody listening, uh, what, you know, dig into your story and say, okay, where can I be more transparent? Where can I be more vulnerable? And how can I then connect with people? Because you know what I, what I find out, Chuck, and you know this, is when people are listening to what we have to say, uh, you were just talking with Pegeen about influence, right? Absolutely. When people were, you know, listening to what we're saying and we're trying to influence, they're, they're being more human. They're connecting with us at more human levels when we're just being vulnerable and transparent. We're saying, hey, I'm not much different than you. And you know, Kevin, I suspect you, like me, will find that at the end of a, of a program, when people come up, some will come up and say, man, what a great program, thank you so much. But invariably, people will come up and feel empowered to share their vulnerability with you. Oh, almost every time. Every time. I mean, I'll have men, they'll come up in confidence and they'll share what they're going through at the moment or what they've gone through. I've had people come up and say, yeah, I, I've been there. Uh, you know, so it's like there's a connection. I've had ladies come up and, uh, and frankly, I've had ladies come up and ask if, uh, if I do men's retreats or men's meetings because uh, they're significant as I wasn't there to hear what I had to say. Uh, sure. I've had people share about their divorces and their lives, their mess, because now they feel like, oh, gosh, I can be open too. And that's one of the keys. I, I even teach the audiences in, in some of the workshops I do in training is when you are vulnerable, you are giving license to others to then become vulnerable. So, Kevin, uh, part of this interview that I, I scheduled here for VOE is because this is your uh, year of earning your status as a CSP. So, congratulations Thank on you. that. Thank you. Yeah. That's absolutely, it's awesome, <laughs> isn't it? Oh, it's exciting, yes. So, I know you'll be uh, walking across the stage, and when people hear this on VOE, you'll be Kevin McCarthy, CSP, <laughs> but you have earned that designation, but a part of earning that designation was... Um, perhaps becoming more normal, but part of that was you were an employee of a company and you had direct responsibility for training numbers of people. Mm -hmm. And to earn your designation as a CSP, that counts. It does. Yeah. In fact, that, the mystery for me about becoming a CSP, and it was a mystery, you know, it was hard to wrap my mind around this. Sure. Right? It's like even though I had experience in the past and then training for a corporate entity, uh, I felt like because my business floundered for the first couple of years, I felt like really I've only got about two and a half years of actually booking uh, speaking engagements. Is that really qualify me? And, and so I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, uh, president for the New Mexico chapter, Jerome Wade. I was talking to him sure. and he's like, listen, you just got to call Kate. <laughs> so, so I called, I called uh, Kate Holgate and she and walked this through with her. And she's like, no, you, you know, that part of your corporate experience can count. It's just a matter of making sure we document everything and you've got the, uh, the evidence to support it, the, you know, so forth. So I went through the process and it was 
a process. Absolutely. Right? But I went through the process and I was nervous as the you know, biting my nails and wondering, is, you know, is this really real? Is it going to happen? Am I really going to be a CSP because of this? And, uh, and then, of course, I got the call and I was just beside myself. Well, for those people that are listening on VOE, I really want to encourage you to look at the entire scope of your work. Yeah. Because, it, you know, it's almost like we're, we're, we're brothers from another mother. Because <laughs> the truth of it is, I earned part of my designation as a CSP. It's the same thing. I was a vice president, still am in a public company. And I do a lot of training for that organization. And because I am uh, training numbers of people, mm -hmm. that is a speaking engagement. It's just paid for in the form of a W-2 instead of a 1099 that's paid for by typical outside clients. Yep, absolutely. In fact, I, I would really want to encourage anybody listening, Jack, to, to think about CSP from the standpoint of whether or not you know that you're qualified or think you're qualified or just simply hope you're qualified. Start looking at your corporate experience. Start looking at your, your whole portfolio of events that you've done, yes. people you've influenced. And, and then literally just sit down. Maybe you have to sit down with somebody else or call Tempe, you know, the headquarters and find out. Just get the information you need and start processing that and then put it as a priority. Uh, I, was, uh, I was chatting with um, one of my colleagues from NSA Oregon on the flight here this morning, and she turned to me and she said, you know what, I've decided I'm going to make it my goal to become a CSP. I'm like, that's exactly right, uh, because you put it out there. You never know where that's going to be, how your year's going to flesh out each year, but put it out there and Absolutely. keep track of everything. Yes, right? keep track of everything <laughs> and be willing to put forth the process that you have to go yeah. through to earn it because I, I I know I could have earned mine earlier but I didn't take the time or have the discipline to say mm. I've got to yeah. dot the I's and cross the T's which I have to admit Kevin is just not something that I particularly enjoy it wouldn't be both man. but Sometimes you do what you have to do, and both of us would say it is certainly well worth the designation for the effort that we put into creating a speaking career. Kevin, as we close things out, I think it's fascinating because if I were sitting here looking at you, I got, got a little age on you, I would say your blind spot was believing that transparency and vulnerability was worth it. Mm. And when you look past that, you know, kind of yeah. pull back the curtains and said, I'll give it a try you found out that blind spot kept you from your success yeah. and removing the blind spot has created the opportunity for incredible success. Absolutely. Kevin, so thank you for taking the time to be on VOE and congratulations as a new CSP. Thank you, sir. And it's always great, Chuck. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. It's always great chatting with you. Thank you so much, Kevin. All right. Take care. Thanks. There are times in NSA when you get to work with folks who can change your perspective or at least cause you to think differently. My next guest isn't about perfection. That's something I don't think exists. And wow, I bet I've wobbled some of you. But Jess Pettit talks about Good Enough Now, the title of her new book. It's my honor to welcome Jess to VOE. This is Chuck Gallagher with VOE. My guest is Jess Pettit. Jess has been on the board with NSA. Truth. You have rolled off of that position, but you have clearly been an active voice mm -hmm. that has caused a lot of us 
to raise the game in terms of how we think about how we interact with each other. Sure. Is that fair? Yeah. I, I, what is interesting is it's so dangerously close to words I use quite often with my clients and that I don't think I'm a thought leader. I think I help leaders think. Okay. And so within the context of NSA where, you know, speakers are not my typical audience, etc. I mean, I do speak to associations, but not typically this. This is a group of thought leaders. And so in my membership and in, in, in my opinion, what I give in to this community is how to help people think differently or to even just think about things differently. And so in my 12 years, I think, of membership, that is what I've done. What do speakers need to know to be effective in the marketplace today? Well, thanks for the softball question to get us started with. That well, was really, hey, you know, I never that. said that I was a fast pitch pitcher. <laughs> so, well, what's funny is is that I thought of two things first. And um, I think... I think oddly in running my own business, I kind of always come up with two contradictory answers. So surprise, I did again. Oh, well, can you imagine? Yeah. So the, the, the first thing that I thought of was that not only are the audiences changing and the speakers changing, but the methodology in which we're delivering our content or our message is also changing. And I feel like there's, as one individual's career or business grows and spurts and spots and gets to a place where it's comfortable and the, the person's life also is catching up with that, that there are other businesses coming right behind it and there are other businesses right ahead of it. it all part of that same curve. Sure. So I think that that leads to kind of this natural ebb and flow. So there was like a recent post I saw on Facebook that was like, everyone's raising their fees and they don't understand, like meeting planners all have the same budgets. Well, that's true. Because when people are raising their fees, they're doing different kinds of work at that fee. And then there are other speakers who are coming up who now have the opportunity to do those kind of meetings at that particular fee. And I think that that wheel kind of keeps spinning as we develop our own businesses, develop our content, develop our methodology. So that's the first thing that I would say is just be mindful that there's someone in front of you and there's someone behind you always. Okay, fair right? enough. Right. Community, right? Community. We sure. talk about pie but we don't always really understand how there are speakers who are more expensive than me and there are speakers who are less expensive than me. There are people who have more experience, less experience. And my job is to be conscious of the responsibility of being in the middle of that, Right. I believe. Okay. So that's the first thing. Second thing I thought of was, and this is almost always my answer when, what should you tell speakers? Is I wish someone had told me. Yes. And I wouldn't have listened. Okay. So I'm going to say it. Where's the camera? You're not going to listen to this. Oh, no, oh, wrong camera. Just Go kidding. to that one. Oh, good. You're ah. not going to listen to it either. Okay, so here it is. Is You are in charge of your own sense of urgency. So by virtue of being solopreneured, I will continually have a list of top 10 urgent, on fire, number one priorities that must occur. I cannot get them all done in a day. So the... The old mindset when I had a job job of like, you know, prioritize, do what you need to do and do the top three in a given day or what are you going to do? What five things are you going to do today? Well, you can still do that, but you're not going to reduce the sense of urgency of the stuff you're not getting done because everything is urgent. And so urgent can't dictate how you do your time anymore. It gets really expensive and it'll stress you out because it's never going anywhere. So you have to pick a new sense of how to dictate how to spend your time and how to spend your money. 
when you market yourself, I'm okay. Let me. I'm, I'm making an assumption. Okay. Great. As a speaker, obviously someone is going to pay you for the, the service that you provide. My dogs depend on that. Somebody's yes. got to buy the dog food. I hear you. So therefore, that means either you are so in demand because people can find you that they just, <laughs> the phone's ringing off the wall, or you're doing some outbound active marketing. Yes. If you're doing outbound active marketing, talk to us about what you do. Well, first off, make assumptions all you want to, and then just ask questions. So, great job. Um, so, I do do some outbound stuff. I don't do near as much as I should because, like most of us, that's the part that's hard, right? Okay. Um, and I can come up with a million excuses. It's really hard to do outbound marketing when you're, like, chasing airplanes, right? Sure. So, again, you have to do both at the same time. So, you have to – outbound marketing, what I decided is I picked – I'm not going to do Jane Atkinson's I picked the lane – but I picked an audience. What does that audience look like? What kind of building are they in? For me, it doesn't actually matter what the theme is as to why they all came together. Right. But like my preference is being a closing keynoter of a multi-day, mid-size association where they're supposed to be learning some stuff, but they're also supposed to be like building community and remembering why they like their jobs. Okay, so if I've decided this, this year, who needs to be reminded that they like their jobs? Some people would say living humans. <laughs> so yeah. I needed to narrow that down a bit. Right. So I narrowed it down to living humans with checkbooks. And then I decided when I kind of looked at this other side, it really seems to be like first responders, social workers, counselors, medical providers. I have no idea why. But that is, that's who is making my phone ring. So can I match my outbound marketing plan with this that's magically occurring? And then, weird is it feels like it's working. It's because the work I'm doing seems to be making the phone ring. In reality, the phone may have just rung all by itself. But at least I'm congruent with who's kind of magically parachuting into my life. And, like, and pay attention to that. If all these, like right this particular quarter, I have a bunch of hospitals. What? I don't even like going to the hospital myself. What is going on? However, talking to people about death and dying and illness is a really difficult topic. And when we look at issues of diversity and inclusion, people in hospitals don't have time to have the education around that often because they're being educated around other stuff around death and dying. And all of this are really important conversations that matter. What's my keynote called? Conversations that matter. They're the ones who are ringing my doorbell, right? Right. So, okay, now I need to get to know them better. So then I also find kind of the cycle is that my outbound marketing that's focusing on kind of these mid-size conferences where these folks show up, the more I can tap into them, my outbound marketing makes more sense. Right. Because I'm actually talking about like, last week I was here. Here's an unanswerable question that we were able to come up with an answer. Is it, do you have this problem too? Can I solve this problem for you too? So the left and the right are kind of feeding each other. Um, but that, that's mostly my outbound marketing plan right now. And it's probably not awesome. And it's probably not what like all the whiz-bang books say that I'm supposed to be doing right now. But as I like to say, it is good enough. And it is making my phone ring and my dogs have dog food. So we would not want the dogs to starve. I know. Well, they both weigh like 80 pounds. So, I mean, this is like a serious consideration. As we wrap up this VOE segment... What are the conversations 
that as speakers we should be having that matter? Uh, there's way more than two things that come up for that. Um, well, give me three. Okay. <laughs> um, Don't, isn't it rough to feel limited? I know. What? Oh. I'm limited by time, not by content. Um, I, I would challenge speakers to have a conversation of what with themselves, maybe with a friend, but ideally with themselves, including me. What do we feel entitled to? And then get over it. Like, and then repeat. So like washing your hair, right? So the, the lathering piece is, why do you feel entitled to that? When people think like, well, I didn't get that gig because somebody got it because they're some diversity box. You feel entitled to that space. Why? What if somebody got it because they're actually really good and competent and you're not treating them like a colleague, you're treating them like somebody who stole something from you? That's a, a responsibility piece that I think is a conversation as a profession that not only matters, but will, will heal some pain that exists in our profession and hopefully move us forward together. Okay. That's the first one off the bat. Okay. Second one, I think is there is a, a very important balance that we must showcase and role model for other people. And um, oddly, it's two horses, is what I always say. And we are riding two horses at the same time. One of them is ego-filled, that I have to be competent and confident in my message and what I have to say to the point that I have to convince somebody else they got to spend a lot of money on me and not someone else, and that someone else may be someone I look up to and I read, I read their books. Why me over them? That is a, a, how your marketing is written. That is how your website is written. That's what your mastermind should be checking, right, is this ego piece. And the other piece, and this actually comes up quite often in the medical profession as well, is a sense of humility that what I mean by humility in this context and is that I can bring my expertise into a conversation, recognize that I have it, set it off to the side, and then have a one-on-one -on -one in the moment conversation to maybe I don't know everything, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm about to learn something. And by balancing that humility with your ego, that, that's, that's the ride, right? That's what we have to do. And, and I think that those are conversations that we need to be having with ourselves and with our colleagues. Jess, again, had a number of years to work with you. I know. It's We've collaborated fun. on so many things. It's always fun. There's always a new and fresh perspective. I really appreciate the fact that you jumped in and got involved. And I want to thank you for all that you have done and will continue to do and much success to you because this was good enough right now. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> You're doing great. Hey folks, what's up? For this next segment, I really should say, what's up? The What's Happening segments are designed to show you how technology can help you become more organized, efficient, and visible to your target audience.
there, NSA Nation. Meredith Oliver here, and I am here for another episode of What's Happening? Woo! Woo! <laughs> right? It is time. So I am joined here by Adam Toporek. Oh, oh man. We got it. Adam Toporek. It's Adam Toporek. I'm struggling. I'm sorry. It's been... We've been having fun. This has been a process. Right. So Adam is chief president in charge of yes. CTS Service Solutions, right? You got it, exactly. Yeah, and you speak on what? Customer experience and customer service. Customer experience and customer service. Awesome. Yep. We have a mutual friend in Stan Phelps. We do. kind of how we met, Go right? Go Goldfish. Right? I know. He was here <laughs> earlier today. So, you have a few app recommendations for me. Yes, apps. Yeah. So, okay. one of the things we all struggle with as speakers and being in this business is scaling and working with virtual employees and regular employees. Yeah. So do you have any virtual employees? I do. Okay. I have so seven of them. I have four and they are all overseas, 12 hour time difference. Ooh. So I use a, an app or a program called teamwork.com. Okay. So teamwork is fantastic. So it's project management, but I use it basically run the whole business. Wow. So it's okay. got all the sort of you know basic project management stuff you would expect, like task and be, the able to, ability to assign tasks, things like that. But it's really granular. Mm. Um, so what's really interesting is, so you, know, you think about it, you've got four people, they're overseas, you wake up in the morning, what do you have? You have a pile of things that have been yes. getting done all night, right? right? Yeah, I'm sure you can relate. So when that's in your inbox, it's a mess. But when it's not in your inbox, when you have it organized by task and by project, it's fantastic. And teamwork enables you to do that in a really good way because you can use task lists and sort of go within, even within each project, mm -hmm. you can actually get down into a really granular level and have sub-projects. Okay. Which is fantastic. Okay. So let's say you're working on a book, for okay. example. Exactly. Okay. All right. So you would set that up as a project. Right, exactly. So mm -hmm. you set the book up as a project. So we use it not just as a project, we use it as sort of like business lines. So okay. one of the projects is speaking. Okay. One of the projects is, you know, live workshops and training. Now, the, okay. Uh, we have an online course that's dropping in a couple of weeks. That's been a project. So you I can bet. use it both project-based <laughs> and sort of like business line-based. Oh, okay. Right. And so within that business line or project that right. you're working on, then you create tasks and assign them to different team members? Exactly. And what's mm -hmm. really cool is so you have what's task list. So you can organize the tasks because these projects get really big. You know, we've got video, we've got graphics, we've right. got content, we've got all of that. And when you can do the task list, it really helps you organize. So when you go in in the morning, you know the priority is the video. We're, we're behind deadline on video. Yeah. Let's go to that task list. Because even on teamwork, you know, the, the email situation is horrible. Yeah. When you even get on the app, it's still really bad if you're just looking at a stream of tasks. Sure. So it really allows you to be granular. And what's really interesting is even within the project, you can still each task exclude people and have it just for you know certain people's ah, eyes only. So it's that. really good security uh, as far as that, as far as you know, keeping the information where you want the information to be for certain people. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's been great, and it's got a uh, app on the phone, so and that amazing. works fantastic, oh. which is amazing. Right. And it has messaging too. So if you're a Slack person, I know that's really I big right now. I love me some Slack. Do you see yeah. what I like about this? Is I keep it off. So ah. the only time I use that chat is when I say, hey, let's meet on chat because I don't want, I right. work very hard for people to not bother me with their dings and chimes. I love that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what's really nice, so it has that feature, but you don't have to keep it always on. It's not integral to using it. Nice. So which is really okay. cool. So teamwork, I run everything with teamwork. Yeah. So Adam, um, the idea here is get organized, get systems and processes. Exactly. Powered by technology. 
Of course. You know, to make your life a little easier. That I mean, that's really one. what apps are all about, right? Do you have another one? I think you have one well, more. Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, we were uh, talking about this. So security, I know speakers don't think about this a lot, but right. it's actually NordVPN. All right. Nord? Nord, N-O-R-D, like Nordic, the beginning of Nordic. Okay, so N Nord, like Nancy, Nord, V, VPN, like Victor. So virtual private network. VPN, v like Victor, VPN. P like Paul, and like Nancy. You got it, got exactly. It. Nord VPN. And so what a VPN does is it basically masks where you are. Now, there's two reasons, to, two big reasons to use one, which is one is security and privacy. Uh, well, sorry, sorry, security, and the other one is privacy. Now, the right. privacy one is sort of less of a concern here, but about security. So we're traveling, we're on the road, we're using public Wi-Fi, we're using hotel Wi-Fi, and you might as well just be leaving your credit card and your social security number laying yes. on the table at Starbucks. Here, please steal me. And taking a walk. Yeah, yeah. it's really, there's so, and, you know, there's this impression that there's like, oh, well, what's the chance that some like talented Russian hacker is sitting there, I know, right? right? In Starbucks with You'd me. You'd be surprised. It's not that. You can buy software for 35 bucks online and sit in Starbucks and steal everybody's stuff. Yeah. So there's a million VPN things out there. Nord I like because one, uh, they have a ton of servers all over the world, like a thousand in the United States. Wow. It works across all your apps so you can use it on desktop. Once you get the account, you can use it on desktop, you can use it on your iPhone, you can use it on um, mm -hmm. iPad, whatever. Uh, and it's great and it, it's really fast. So uh, there's certain sites you can't use it on. Like if you go to Bank of America, you're not going to be able to do your banking behind a VPN or not a public one because right. uh, they know. <laughs> right. So practically speaking, for people that are, you know, just getting into the tech world, so once you have this service, it's a paid service. This one is. There's a bunch of free ones. I like Nord. It's it's really cheap. It's like yeah, three bucks a month. Yeah, that's fine. I that. like to pay. Like you know, I've said it in previous segments. If it's if it's something important with security, I don't mind paying a few dollars. Exactly. So, so you set up the account, okay? And then like, let's say you're at Starbucks, walk me through how you get on the VPN. How does that work? Okay, it is simple. You click the button and it <laughs> goes and that's it. And you wait for it to light what? up green. That's it, that is it. What? So that's, they've got really intuitive software. So there's nothing technical about it. Once it's okay. installed, literally you go, if you want to have fun, you can be like, oh, I'm going to route my signal through Croatia. Like you feel like you're a hacker, like you're oh, really, wow. you're, you're really Ooh, cool. Okay. But I mean, usually yeah. you want to use you want to use one that's close to you because it's faster. So yeah. you know you're not, you're really not looking to right. route your signal across the world. Right. Um, so yeah, that's it. Literally, it's sitting right there. You just click it. And you can sort of see it trying to lock, and then it's in between you, your IP. It's basically between your IP and the world. Wow. So it's just sitting there, and it, they can't see you, uh, so to speak. And yeah. Yeah, it's great. And it's really, like, that's why I like Nord. It's just simple. You simple. don't have to be a tech person. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like the one time speakers do want to be invisible. Right. <laughs> the one time. The, the one time we time. need our Harry Potter cape, and we just want to go, like, we are not here. Exactly. Because we're also, hey, look at me, right? <laughs> the one time is with our data and our financial information and i mean i'm sitting in starbucks shopping for shoes all the time yep see putting that. in that credit card number uh, so yep. passwords credit card numbers all that good stuff i need right. the okay very good well go. adam it has been a pleasure it's been fun this yeah. has been awesome last one of the day so right powering in i know right. we're finishing strong all righty uh this is adam cts service solutions uh, if you're looking to improve the customer experience in your businesses, customersthatstick.com. Dot dot com. <laughs> That's what he does. So thank, thank, thank you. Thank you, Meredith. It's been it's awesome. It's amazing. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. One of the four foundations, the four E's of our profession is ethics. I often ask the question to my audiences, 
do you think you're ethical? Well, the overwhelming response is yes. We all think we're ethical till we're not. Margarita Guerreri is my amazing guest who shares her insights about ethics in ways that just make sense to us as speakers. And now, here's Margarita. Margarita Guerreri is my guest on VOE, or otherwise known as Dr. Red Shoe. And there is a story behind that, so go ahead, since I have laid it on the table, and tell us the Red Shoe story. All right, I will. The two-cent version of it. In 1960, we escaped from Castro's Cuba. And at that time, my family was told that we could leave with one suitcase for the family and $5 per person. Oh, my goodness. My mother was so not happy with that that she decided she was going to leave her way with her red shoes on as a... To Castro. Oh, so, okay. so many years later, when my mom was uh, dying, and she had a very dramatic death, took a year. She was a very good Cuban. She would have been a great speaker that way with the drama. I Talk see. about the pause, right? Um, I started wearing the red shoes as a nod to her and, her and my parents' courage and their graciousness in how they handled everything, starting over, losing. We never, when we came to this country, complained. We're Americans now, we're proud, no complaint. And so the shoes for me represented that. Audiences started calling me Red Shoe Lady, Red Shoe Doctor, finally Dr. Red Shoe Fit. So that's what it is. Oh my goodness. Yep. So, Margarita, let's talk ethics. Oh, I love ethics in the morning. I hear you, like cornflakes, huh? I know, it just always smells pretty to me. Oh. So, of the four E's that we have as members of the National Speakers Association, one of those pillars is the pillar of ethics. Yes, it is. So, a lot of people will assume, oh my God, I'm ethical, until they're not. Yes. So, let's talk about some of the minefields that can take place that inadvertently we might trip over and find ourselves exploded into without intention. I think that's a great place to start, thanks. So, what would those be from your perspective? Well, the first one is we all think we're ethical. So I ask you, are you an ethical person? You'll say, yes. Right. And then the question that I've been asking more lately is how ethical is your team? So even if I think I'm ethical, maybe somehow I'm encouraging or not discouraging or not even aware of something of my team. But even if I am aware, like when I first started speaking, I thought I was really swift. And uh, I copied um, uh, cute pictures like the Peanuts uh, cartoon because I'm a shrink, so you know, the five cents. I took videos without, I didn't know. So my ignorance made me unethical. And so um, some of it is just lack of understanding. So l let's go down that rabbit hole because I have a feeling you're gonna give us several. So as speakers, often we do. Um, find video, oh my gosh, I love that clip, or uh, we might find a cartoon that we think, oh, that really fits, that'll be great in the PowerPoint presentation, yet, in most cases, if not all cases, the majority of what we might find has already been copyrighted. That's true, and it's a complicated because free use or fair use isn't always free use, and it's sometimes hard to find out who do I buy the license to use this from. So the easiest thing is be original. Create your own stuff, be exciting, be your own unique and weird self. That's what sells best anyway. Okay, so as speakers, I really wanna kinda of pull the layers of the onion back. 
Okay. You've done um, uh, work with CSPs or people who are aspiring CSPs, earning that designation, and you wrote a book, The Ethical Speaker. Yes, sir. Right. So what are four or five of the ethics issues that people tend to trip over? Okay, so let's talk it more broadly and then we'll go to speakers. Okay. More broadly, there's some reasons why we misbehave. I'm oh. a psychologist, so I take a look at it that way. Okay. The most important reason why people misbehave is they're being altruistic. Okay. They're trying to help someone. So they, they give overly generous feedback. They're hiding the truth for or from someone. Um, they do a favor for someone knowing that they're fudging the facts. So let's say you want to be a CSP and you're missing a few. So say, let's do a course together and then I'll, and I'll, I'll pay you, but you give me the money back or something. So just doing a favor, altruism, sometimes a good heart blinds us in the soul and in the, in the head and the spirit of Cabot ends up on the floor. Okay. And so I think that's one of the, the first things. And most speakers are pretty generous, so they want to help. Okay. So I would say that's the biggest landmark. Okay. Be careful about the favors you do. Okay. What else? So I think another reason we misbehave is what uh, George May, who's an ethicist, used to say, the big four. I call them the delicious temptations. Okay. So it's greed, speed, laziness, and haziness. And because I grew up Cuban and mostly in Miami, I had craziness. Okay. So there's the, the big four and then the craziness. So I think that a lot of times why we're unethical is we're greedy. We want to do something either greedy with time. We do it so fast we don't think about the consequences. So we don't think about what permissions do I need, what respect do I need to show to this law or this culture or this individual or this intellectual property. Um, Speaker Magazine has a whole bunch of really great articles that you can check out um, on uh, ethics uh, that is especially relevant to speakers. Um, and then there's um, the, you know, that's the speed and greed kind of together. Then there's the laziness and the haziness. A lot of times I'm just, you know, lazy, you're lazy, we just cut a corner and so you miss something. You forget to put an attribution uh, on your slide and then over time you forget to say it and you know, you, you tell me a story, I think, Chuck, that's a great story, may I tell it? You say, sure, Margarita. And I say, well, the other day Chuck Gallagher told me this amazing story and I interviewed you on my podcast. You were fabulous. Lots of things I could steal from you. And pretty soon though, they're mine. So then I say, like I was saying the other day, and then I own it. Right. And some of it's on purpose, some of the haziness. What's yours, what's mine, it's all good. So we get a little confused. And most of it's not intentional at all. And then the craziness is, a lot of times we get this manic energy, the hypomanic energy. I want to do this, and that, and this, and that, and this. And after a while, it's easy to realize that you did all this stuff without thinking about the foundations of your ethical practices. You know, what do you need to do? Uh, who could be harmed by what you say? As my father used to say, any joke that begins with this, don't tell. <laughs> I mean, so sometimes our unethical behavior, and with, the psych with the psychology, it's different. With speakers, it's different. Um, the speaker's code, we have eight principles, ethical principles, and they're aspirational. And we're in the process, I believe, of making them stronger, that provide more guidance that's more specific. And I believe we'll get there. We have an amazing ethics team, and uh, I believe over time they'll get to be so that any haziness or laziness on my part 
has been supported by the ethics team's efforts and NSA's efforts. So hopefully we'll have even more guidance in the near future. So you were a researcher on HIV. Yes. Okay. Yes. But now you speak and one of the topic areas is ethics. Yes. What's the connection? <laughs> um, since I'm a psychologist, people have for years come to me when there's an oops or when they have want to avoid an oops. So I work with people when they're facing problems with people, communication, and ethics. That's where the energy is, you know? Gotcha. There's conflict, someone made a big mistake, someone's going to jail, they're facing disgrace and have to say, I'm sorry. And I think that I help people maximize their amazingness when it, they have the most energy. Whether on the rise and they're excited, but most people wait for disgrace before they actualize their best selves. So they have a disgrace, either it's imminent or it's right there, and then I can help them figure out how to get to the next level. That That's is hard. so powerful. <laughs> yes. So let me ask you this question as we wrap up the VOE segment. If you were to look where you are now yes, and the sir. success that you've had, yes. and then you were to look back at young Dr. Red Shoes and okay. say, what should I not do? What would you advise your younger self not to do? I was busy being too Catholic and proud. Um, if it was meant to be, God would bring it. Um, and I'm supposed to do this by myself and not burden anyone. I've been so blessed, I shouldn't ask for any help. So the thing I would go back and say, hey Chuck, how would I do this better? Uh, I would say, Tim Birkin, how do I handle this better? Stan Walter, I have this opportunity, what would you suggest I do? So I would ask for more help. And so I would ask everyone, I mean, the spirit of Cabot is making the pie bigger, but that also means making the foundation of our resources bigger. And I would ask for more help, and I hope people ask me for help. Margarita, that is so awesome. Thank you for taking the time to be on VOE. You are a fun guest. <laughs> well, and I don't you. think anybody expected ethics to be quite like this. Well, ethics don't have to be boring, and they always smell good. Thank you, ve thank thank you, you. for having me. Randy Gage's interview in January got plenty of positive comments. So back for part two is my continued interview with Randy talking about creating prosperity and what do I need to do to advance my career. Here again is Randy Gage. One of the things that I remember from 2007 when you were talking about prosperity is a prosperity mindset. and. You have a prosperity mindset. It does not appear that you have a mindset of any limitation. Now, I, I'm sure we all as human beings have some limitation, but it doesn't look like from a speaking perspective and a professional perspective, you have that perspective. <laughs> what can you say to, to uh, in a short period of time, to help people recognize that they can go outside of the bounds or the box that they might see as a self-limiting area? Yeah. You know, one of my other books was about the mind viruses we get infected with. Money is bad, rich people are evil, it's spiritual to be poor, or it's, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, you're a good person if you're a poor person. I mean, we have so much uh, negative programming in that way. Um, and I still face it. I mean, yeah, I work every day on overcoming it because I grew up totally immersed in those beliefs. And uh, what happens is you self-sabotage yourself. So you have to find the limiting beliefs that you have, and then you have to blow them up, and then you have to replace them with beliefs that empower you, beliefs that serve you. And that's no different if you're a speaker, if you're a contractor, if you're a uh, VP of engineering or any other profession. So for the speaker that's at influence, because this is where this is being recorded, for so for the speaker that it's in, that it, ha, right, I might say that right here to, <laughs> and then maybe not. See, voices of experience and I can't talk. <laughs> so for the speaker that is new, not necessarily inexperienced, but new to NSA, they've got the VIP badge on and they come up and they say, oh my gosh, that's Randy Gage, he's in the Hall of Fame. I've seen some of the videos, crowds in South America cheering, it was like a rock star show. And they ask you, Randy, what do I need to know to advance my career? What would you share with them? Become your best promoter. Um, again, it goes back to that mindset. Well, I just want to be on the stage and somebody to book me. That ain't going to happen. Nobody's going to be able to sell your product, which is you, better than you. And it isn't about beating your chest and being arrogant. It's about being confident enough in what you do, the value of what you provide. It's not bragging if you've done it, all right? So if you have accomplished things that the people who read your book are able to apply and achieve this, or the people who are in your audiences hear your message and then they take that forward and they're able to, to create success with that, you need to be doing those case studies and talking about that. And that's why I say you gotta be on social media. And, um, and again, the, the, the mediums will change, but you probably need a YouTube channel. You probably need a blog. Um, most important thing is you've got to have a database that you own and you control. So, you know, I've got a Facebook page with 175,000 followers who said, I like this page. I want to receive content from Randy. But do they get it? No. I put a post and maybe 2,000 people see it. And then Facebook sends me a little message and say, wow, that was a popular post. Would you like to pay to promote it? So the other 173,000 people who already said they want your content can see it. You know, and you know what? Facebook, those people have to feed their cats too. <laughs> I get that, right? Everybody's got to make money. But if your platform is only on YouTube or it's only on Facebook or Twitter or any of these, and then they change their algorithms or they change their policies, your business is dead. So right now it's still email. You need to have an email database of your fans and followers that you can go direct when your book is out, when you have a new public seminar to offer, when you have some new coaching program or consulting service, you gotta be able to contact them and maybe a mobile app so you could send alerts or text to people. But for sure, whatever it is, you need to have a database. And the first part of your career, you should just be religiously building that database, increasing that tribe, the people who wanna hear from you. If I remember this correctly, um, when you initially pitched the major publisher uh, one of the things they ask you is how big is your tribe? Yeah. 
Yeah. And you were able to tell them huge numbers. And that almost made it easy for them to say, okay, because they knew with a tribe that size, you were going to get X number of sales, which meant they weren't making a risky business decision. Is that a fair statement? A very fair statement. And I would tell you, it's all across in every area of our profession now. I had a publicist for a while when I had the book coming up. Uh, she called me one day, hey, we've got a magazine in California. They're considering you for the cover story. But they also are thinking about this lady, and they gave me the name of this other speaker. Mm -hmm. And they said they want to know why they should pick you instead of her. I said, give me five minutes. I went on. I clicked on clout. I looked at her clout score. You know, it was about 25 points below mine. So I called back my publicist. Well, tell him, here's her cloud score. Here's my cloud score. Here's how many followers she has on Facebook. Here's what she has on Twitter. Here's what I have. Do they want someone who's going to promote this magazine and get more people to read it? Then I'm the guy. Took two minutes. They said, you're the guy. Publishers are doing that. Uh, same thing with TV and radio. That's the first thing. If you want to be on the today, you're going to, there's a session today or tomorrow on hijack the news. So, you know, there's some big development. You want to jump on it. You want to get a media appearance. What's the first thing they're going to do? They're going to, the, the producer who you're trying to get to book you, the first thing they're going to do is look at your social media platforms and see what kind of platform do you have. Are you used to speaking on video? Or can you put three sentences together in coherent thought? You know, are you a critical thinker? You know, do you have fresh, original ideas? Or are you just spouting cliches? So I see publishers, uh, meeting planners, companies who want to hire you. I mean, there's credibility in that. I mean, so that's a big deal today. Randy, I want to tell you, I appreciate one, you're taking the time to be here on VOE. This this content is great. And, and, you know, the main thing is for people to listen to it, it's one thing to say this is what you need to do. It's the other thing to do it. But it's also very important to recognize here's a person actively engaged, having followers literally all around the world. By the way, one quick question. I just I want to end with this question. But you obviously do literally travel all around the world. Was that by intention? Was it by accident? How did you get the international business? Uh, was it by intention or by accident or coincidence? The answer is yes. It was intention. That was my dream. Was My business was that I could travel the world and build my business from a laptop or a cell phone under a palm tree anywhere in the world. I love that. So that was the intention. And then the practical application was my books got out there. They're in 25 languages. So that draws me all over the world. And I've, I've been good with internet marketing, meaning I've, I got on, I built a website early. I offered everything in digital versions and, and, and you could buy the physical versions online. And I've been doing that for a long time and that Again, you know, that makes the whole, really, the internet really does make the whole world a, a kind of a village, and that's what's driven all my international work. Meredith and I are so honored to be able to bring you awesome guests who share incredible insights here on Voices of Experience. March will include amazing guests, included Diana Boer, Scott Halford, W. Mitchell, and Scott McCain, just to name a few.
March is an I can't miss it month. So here's signing off until we meet in March, the advent of spring. Yes! This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.